Hey everyone, welcome to episode 141 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. Uh, I'm Chris Caster-Apple, here with Collins. Hey Collins. What's up, Chris? Uh, not much. We had a pretty good tournament this weekend. Yeah, it was it was pretty phenomenal, actually. Yeah. It was something. Nine rounds of Swiss. 215-ish players. Yeah, after like all the no-shows got dropped out of the tournament. Okay. I still had a sure. Still had a full like day one of a GP plus a top eight. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot. Uh definitely a lot to cover, but I uh I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, to be able to cover like a release weekend standard tournament, mm-hmm. it's like I don't know, it's super cool and we're just kind of doing it. Like <laughs> it turns out you don't have to ask permission from anybody to do this stuff. You just have to like yeah. do it. Yeah. So that's neat. It was quite a tournament. This this new set has upset the standard format. I, I've never seen any impact like this set has had um before in all formats. Yeah. Uh you just know this immediate impact to everything. Every single format has significantly changed as a result. Maybe that's just gonna be the new normal. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that's the direction we're going in. Yeah. Oko in Once Upon a Time and Throne of Eldraine to yeah. Aro mm-hmm. in, in Theros to, like, eight <laughs> of the companions. In, right, yeah. In it's, set. it's companion world, yeah. and we're just living in it. I guess so. Oof. It's, <laughs> it's frightening, honestly. Yeah. Yes, before we get too into our complaining about companions episode. Hey, no, I, for one, <laughs> welcome our new companion overlords. We want to thank our patrons. We really appreciate everybody who continues to give us support. If you would like to join our Patreon, you can head to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Come hang out in our Discord, get some swag. We would really, really appreciate it. Everybody who does support us, thank you. Everybody who would like to, you know, please do. It would be super cool of you. So, companions. I, I think consolidated this from a Brian Gottlieb tweet where he noted that on release weekend, the companions took... Out of the challenges, <laughs> six slots in the top eight of the standard challenge. Yep. All four of the top decks of the Pioneer challenge. Yep. All four of the top decks in the Legacy challenge. The entire top eight of the Modern challenge. And even first and second place in the Vintage challenge. And the reports that I saw post-tournament was basically like, oh yeah, I played against Luris every round of that Vintage challenge. Yeah. So, yeah, Luris in particular, but Companions as a whole having a outsized massive impact yeah on every format yeah it's and it is kind of sad like i would be a little happier with everything if it was more than just Luris having an impact on mm-hmm. these like older formats and we do see some urion decks like you know trickled in there and like yeah pioneer and stuff but and in modern as well yeah and in, and in modern as well but uh yeah Luris has been extremely dominant yeah i mean on un- unsurprising given what that card does the fact that the companions are hybrid also makes them much easier to fit into kind of whatever shell yeah right Um, a lot of flexibility there yeah so you know in legacy we see i mean basically every deck running luris but you know like delver in particular benefits in a disproportionate way because delver loves to draw all interaction and one threat and so you get to cut your threats down to like the bare minimum. You don't have to put true name nemesis in your deck anymore. You just, you know, draw your Delver, play it, it gets killed, you keep interacting, you play Luris, you play Delver, and now you have two very real threats <laughs> right. out of one card. Yeah. And yeah, lots of them, but lots of the other companions doing well in non, you know, Luris is the primary one in modern, but yeah. then when you go to Pioneer and Standard, like a significant number of the other companions seeing a lot of play. And we'll talk about those because yep. um, we're going to focus on Standard and Pioneer today, given okay. 
you know, sort of the two tournaments we've got kind of bracketing this episode. But I guess, you know, just generally, I kind of want to talk about like what, given the impact the companions have already, like what do we think is going to happen from here? This is <laughs> unprecedented. Yes. It certainly is unprecedented. I just think that we have to buckle in for a new era of Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Where the the old darlings that we've had of like the consistency of our eternal formats is very clearly something that R&D is willing to disrupt mm -hmm. in a pretty big way. Yeah. You know, we're used to vintage changing by a couple of cards once in a blue moon. We're <laughs> used to legacy changing also by a couple of cards once in a blue moon. You know, modern certainly gets a little more, but I just think that the new philosophy is, hey, we're just going to be printing these new cards. We expect them and are probably designing them to be impactful in every single format so that every single format is going to be shaken up in a big way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just think it's just so clear that that's what the goal is, that if if our perspective is just going to be like, oh, no, this is terrible, yeah. <laughs> we're going to have a bad time. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm kind of excited to see how it shakes up, and it's going to definitely take a couple of sets to get used to it. But, I mean, if it is terrible, we have to be realistic about that. Sure. You know? Right. No, for sure. And But what does that mean? Like, Well, so the risk that I see here is, and I'm already feeling this, as I'm looking through decks in standard, or I get matched up by some against somebody on arena, and I see there's no companion in the sideboard, or I see my opponent has not presented a companion at the beginning of the game. Mm. My, my thought is basically like, oh, you're, you're playing a bad deck. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Except for like, team or rec, which mm -hmm. is fine without a companion and can keep up but most of the other stuff that i play against like if i'm playing yorian or if i'm playing luris and they're not like mm -hmm. i'm just doing a better thing than them yeah and i wonder if that will maintain true like we're only a weekend we haven't really given the format enough time to shake up and we know that at the beginning of formats people are always more willing than not to mm -hmm. play the new stuff yeah so i just I'm assuming that because these are so powerful, maybe the impact is a little overinflated right now. Maybe. And I'm not saying that it's not a massive impact. It certainly will be. Right. But, you know, maybe once a lot of these formats evolve more, then the percentage of companion decks will go from, what, like the 80% that it is right <laughs> now down to like a 60% or something. Well, so I would be more sympathetic to that concept if the formats it was breaking into weren't already, like, hyper-mature formats, you know? Sure. Like, Luris coming into Vintage and Legacy and, you know, Modern, although, you know, Modern has been disrupted into this weird, grindy, like, shadow of itself that <laughs> certainly makes Luris Mishra's bauble into, like, more of a thing than it would have been right. under an older, faster metagame. Mm -hmm. You know, but Modern, top, the entire top eight of the Modern Challenge... Like, people didn't just forget about the good modern decks that exist. Like, Luris yeah. just started beating them. Yeah, no, I mean, certainly fair. And, yeah, Mishra's Bobble, like, let's talk about that card for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that card's like 50 ticks now. It, yeah, it's gone through uh, uh, quite the ride in, in its history, <laughs> where it went from, like, you know, several years ago, this, like, unplayable entity that people kind of laughed at, to, like, it... Suddenly, people pe realizing that it was actually pretty good, mm -hmm. and it spiked up to like sixty ticks then, and then they reprinted it to get the price back down. But now, <laughs> now we're back, and it's like, oh yeah, you just 
have to be playing Mistress Bobble in your deck. Yeah. It's just a necessity. And and so, you know, it's possible. And I think it's like, I mean, maybe the metagame adjusts very specifically to deal with, okay, Lurus Mystery Bobble is really good. Like, what beats that? Something that doesn't care about card advantage and like, I don't know, like Tron with Karn or something like that can beat a lot of those decks maybe. Mm-hmm. But for now... Luris definitely seems like very dominant. Maybe that one companion gets a ban in modern and that like is a, a band-aid to that whole situation. Right. But it feels like and, and yes, Luris is more powerful than the other companions, especially in format older formats. But it does feel like the fact that the companions are fundamentally breaking the rules of the game of magic as we know it has outweighed most every drawback that they have yeah so you know like in our set review we were talking about these cards and as our like intro to companion we were like oh yeah this is like a fundamentally broken mechanic like we're it's it's really kind of scary to to think about what it could do and then when we looked at each individual companion we were like oh okay this is a pretty big drawback okay Mm -hmm. this companion isn't that impactful yeah but they've outshined that massively (laughs) massively you know like Obosh is good. Yeah. Obosh is definitely one of the m- most underrated ones mm-hmm. from from my perspective, or yeah. at least one of the ones that I underrated the most. Mm-hmm. Um, it's had a pretty massive impact into some of these formats. Yeah, and and like I wouldn't really have thought like you know I would have thought that gimping your standard deck by not putting three plus mana permanents like the powerful cards in standard, mm-hmm. I, I would have thought that would have a greater impact on the strength of a deck. But it turns out that just having access to Luris is so massive for the the slower decks like having access to Yorion is like so impressive that it just massively outweighs the drawback yeah i guess this was their plan for getting Teferi 3 and Oko out of these formats uh, i mean <laughs> yeah you can't complain about those cards anymore you can't even register them if you're running Luris right <laughs> uh nobody just like is called the true name nemesis because nobody's casting true name nemesis mm-hmm no, for sure. So I, I guess, like, what happens in the future? So are we going to just deal with these companions and maybe we have these, like, you know, maybe Luris gets hellbanned out of every format in Magic and then we're left with, like, all right, here are the nine companions. Right, yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about the other one. Right. Um. Yeah. So, or, like, the problem with that then is... If they maintain this sort of thing and like more the more cards get printed, the easier it is to build decks that conform with their restrictions and use the card. So like we're always kind of on the edge of like which one of these is the broken one next. And you only have such a tiny pool to choose from that that reduces a lot of the various variants a lot of the variations in deck building that you can you can pursue if you're like really trying to do a companion because it's so good to have one. I mean, I feel like bans are the only solution to that mm-hmm. long term. And, you know, we've been in that era for a while now where they've just been printing things and banning them. And it kind of makes sense if the objective is for the new cards to, like, have their time in the sun and then <laughs> be put away yeah. <laughs> after that. It's definitely, like, you know, there are definitely drawbacks to that philosophy. And maybe maybe we're just not thinking outside the box enough, and maybe there are like other plans in place. But yeah, ten new companions each set. Yeah, exactly. It's just so, you have you always will have a companion in constructed magic, right. and yeah. Um, <laughs> honestly, like to me, that seems like 
the best fix is either get rid of all of the companions mm -hmm. because they fundamentally break the rules of magic or fundamentally change the rules of magic and then allow people to build their decks to suit a larger variety of companions make it a mm -hmm. different game is what that really would do in a pretty mm -hmm. real way yeah and i i'd like to avoid that you i know <laughs> i think so but it also would take mm -hmm. a couple of years of sets before we have like a big enough pool of companions to right you know and then what happens when they're like running out of ideas and they're like all right goblin guide companion like goblin guide go oh man you know <laughs> right yeah the the power has creeped so far <laughs> to the point where we're putting goblin guide in everyone's opening hand i wonder what the restriction would be yeah all of your spells have to deal damage there was a <laughs> all your creatures have to have haste and all your spells have to deal damage yeah. oh, okay all right, all right. Make, no eidolon no eidolons but yeah there was a making magic article from years ago where mark rose talks about a mechanic that was pitched and you know tell, he tells a story in like an exaggerated way but basically it's similar to the companion mechanic like it's a card that you can tutor at the beginning of the game into your opening hand as like part of it so not even an extra card mm -hmm. you know it's the seventh card in your hand you get to like put one back or something like that sure and you know he tells like this made-up story about how like the interns that tested it like ended up spray painting messages about how bad it was on the walls of R&D or something like that. But the Wait a minute, where did the spray paints go? It's a, it's a did fake, they forget? You know, it's a Mark Rosewater <laughs> really really enjoyed being a writer. Okay. And so it's, you know, he loves to tell stories that are fake. Um but the I think the basic idea of the story is true is that they tested a mechanic that mm. was start with this card in your opening hand. Sure. And the upshot of testing that was like uh variance especially in like the way that games start is part of the heart and soul of magic mm. and getting rid of that like fundamentally changes the game and makes it kind of a less interesting game okay and it's interesting that a couple of years later they were just like all right not only that mechanic but like way power it up <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. got it at the beginning of the game right in addition to your hand mm, yeah yeah and it, it's just really powerful and it definitely looks like the older formats have more ways to abuse this like you know the garuda deck in legacy yeah which we can't see the results of right <laughs> which has kind of been wild and i wonder the conspiracy theorist in me wonders about like <laughs> it's like oh all right they this one was actually so broken that they like needed to cover up the initial week of it being legal <laughs> so garuda was banned on magic online yeah starting on like friday or saturday until right. like today the yeah. day we're recording this podcast on wednesday but it wasn't banned for power level reasons it was banned because it interacted there was a bug with leyline of the void yeah leyline of the void is not supposed to stop garuda from getting stuff back from the graveyard but it did it, on magic online right so their solution to that was to ban garuda because they didn't want to deal with a bunch of compensation requests yeah so that really disguises how good garuda was right in and, and fortunately we discovered during our tournament not that powerful and standard but in legacy mm-hmm like, can we list off some of the cards that have even converted mana cost? So, I guess new cards. <laughs> well, to start with. <laughs> here's Garuda. So, yeah. 
Get rid of this four into Demir mana for a six six companion. Your deck has to be all even cards, mm-hmm. all even CMCs. And when it enters the battlefield, each player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard. You can put a card from those cards, a creature card from those cards with even converted mana cost onto the battlefield under your control. Yeah. And there's a standard deck that uses uh, spark double and blink effects to, you know, cast Garuda on turn four and then end up with a bunch of Garudas in play. Yeah. But in the eternal formats, there are a lot more cards that copy this effect. Yeah. So you get to just essentially go through your entire deck. And and can we can we list off some of the cards with even CMCs that make that'll this power deck it work? Out? Okay, yeah. well to start with Lion's Eye Diamond. Oh zero is oh, even, and huh? this card isn't from your hand, right? So discarding your hand is just it's, not this a drawback. Is just Black Lotus that you can play four of. <laughs> um, yeah, oh. so Lion's Eye Diamond, Lotus Petals, Grim Monoliths, mm-hmm. and you also just get to run four Cavern of Souls because. The, you start right. with your combo card in your hand, so the yeah. rest of your deck can be enablers, and then clones and resto angels and dragon lord cole again so you better force the led is the idea you de- you have to and at least you know right because they showed you the <laughs> yeah, Garuda. right right so if you've got force you force the led yeah. but then you're playing this long game against a deck that all they have to do is cast one spell to kill you a spell that they're guaranteed to have and you cannot thought seize right um silly yeah but at least in standard we found ways to fight against garuda mm-hmm. so you know, that, that was plenty of just general companion talk, and we'll we'll see how stuff develops. <laughs> uh, but as we talk about these two formats, we're going to be talking about the companions plenty. In standard, Garuda was a little bit of a, a boogeyman in the back of everybody's mind mm-hmm. going into our tournament. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was definitely pretty well represented in our event. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people brought it. A lot of people were talking it up, even, going into the tournament. Yeah. But... It did not perform well in standard. It did not. No, no. it kind of got crushed. And we know this because uh, we have this handy-dandy spreadsheet Mm -hmm. that we're going to be referencing for a little bit today. Uh, This was made uh, by our friend Jay Carter. Mm -hmm. And essentially, it it allowed us to keep up with the win percentages for each archetype live throughout the tournament. Yeah. So pretty sweet there. Really, really neat technology that we're working on incorporating into the stream. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully for our next tournament, we should be able to pretty much, like, have it accessible. Just after round five or so, we should be able to just pull, push a button and bring up slides with the win percentages of all the top decks in our tournament, yeah. like, at that point in the tournament. Should be sick. So, you know, pretty cool. I'm so excited to get this stuff going. Yeah. Yeah, so the Garuda decks, you know, we had 22 pilots of Garuda showing up to the tournament, which was our third most represented archetype. I guess mm-hmm. tied for second most represented archetype. Yeah. But it had a 36% win percentage. That's not great. That's really bad, It's actually. very important. You do not want to show up to a tournament with a 36% deck <laughs> with no play to it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, it really just has no play. A, a little bit, actually. Sometimes on turn six, you got to hold up your flash 4-3 and then be able to, like, double spell on your opponent's yeah, mana. Yeah, exciting. Uh, no, it's not great. <laughs> that's like they the just play. let the 4-3 resolve because it can't kill them by itself right yeah uh garuda can't but yeah i mean once people figured out that Grafdigger's cage stopped the combo mm-hmm. and also hushbringer um, hushbringer like we saw like a lot of like two of Grafdigger's cage or four of hushbringers or even just like mystical disputes yep will will really make their life difficult yeah when they're trying to cast a six mana blue spell and everybody is sideboarding four mystical disputes yeah like just having you know destiny spinner 
is not. Is that what that card is called? Destiny Spinner is the 2-3 enchantment creature for 2 that says your creatures can't be countered. Right. And if you're just fighting against mystical disputes every round, then mm -hmm. eventually Destiny Spinner is just not going to be enough to, yeah. to protect your 6-mana blue spell. Right. So, thank God. I mean... <laughs> what a tragic format that would be. Yeah, but there seems to be a different boogeyman in the form. Well, I wouldn't actually call it a boogeyman, but uh, Lurus was very dominant in this tournament. It really was. Mm -hmm. um, we saw, like, most of our feature matches yeah. were Lurus decks. Extremely represented this weekend. It was the most played deck in Rakdos Sacrifice. And yep. also Robert Stanley won the event with a very sweet black-white yeah. version of the Sacrifice deck. Yeah, so Stanley went undefeated throughout the tournament. 12-0 mm -hmm. run, 9-0 uh, in the Swiss, and won the whole thing. Yep. So doesn't get better than that. No. Uh, however, the Orzhov Aristocrats overall did not perform as well as the Rectos Aristocrats. Yep. I think, and there's a lot of factors there for sure. I know that Stanley put a lot of time into figuring out all of his plans mm -hmm. and his deck was very well tuned. And that might not have been true for the other Orzhov or Scratch players. So definitely could be a discrepancy there. But, you know, Orzhov or Scratch walked away from the tournament with a 48% win percentage. And that, I believe, was actually heavily elevated by right. Stanley's run. You so, take Stanley out of there and it's like an under 35% yeah. win percentage. Right. Rakdos Ruskrats, on the other hand, walked away with a 56% win percentage. Mm -hmm. It's undetermined which one of those is going to be coming out on top. I think people are going to still work on both. But um, it seems like Rakdos is definitely the more popular one mm -hmm. and did walk away with a higher overall win percentage. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things we can learn from Stanley's list mm -hmm. that, that are super helpful in kind of understanding how to build a sacrifice deck when you're expecting different things. I think number one lesson from the weekend was that if you're not running Fiend Artisan in your sacrifice deck, like, you are probably making a mistake. Yes. <laughs> that card was definitely the Mirror Breaker. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the Rakdos decks only had a couple of the new Doomblade. Uh, Heartless Act. Heartless Act. Um, so most of the removal is actually, like, toughness-based. Mm -hmm. Which does not line up very well against Fiend Artisan being yeah. around a 4-4, four, four, sometimes mean, a 13-13. Thirteen, thirteen, claim know. the Firstborn is a good answer. That's true. And, and one of the better cards in the mirror. But if you don't have the removal spell, it really does dominate not only the battlefield, but also the grindy game. Yeah, being able to tutor for your whatever you need is, yeah, very powerful. Yeah. Sure. And it, it's, you know, it's hard to, like, Scorching Dragonfire a Fiend Artisan. So it's mm -hmm. there for Lurus or for Call of the Death Dweller or whatever. Like, you can get your Fiend Artisans back more easily than other cards. Uh, you know, Stanley just had a really good, like, toolbox suite to go with the Fiend Artisan. Having Hushbringers for the Garuda matchup. Very and good. So he had a full playset of those. Right. And then with the playset of Fiend Artisans, he had like eight of them to mull to <laughs> after board against right. Garuda, basically. Yeah. And if you get that out before their sixth mana, yeah. that's that's, that's your, the game. You're golden. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna be able to beat a six six. Yes. Right. <laughs> oh yes. Uh and he also had access to uh Timurat, which was sort of his mirror breaker. Yeah. And we saw it target. perform very well in the mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. He was able to tutor that up a couple of times. And, you know, when you, both of you are leaning on your Lurus to take over the game, but you can exile your opponent's graveyard, mm -hmm. you're going to be pretty advantaged. Yeah. And, and so he focused more on getting rid of the graveyard we saw and just kind of like left the Lurus in play multiple times mm -hmm. because it just 
It, it doesn't matter once there aren't any permanents in the graveyard. Right. It's just a 3-2. You know, and, that, and it also prevents a fair amount of top decks and stuff if you have taken all of their resources out of the yard. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Good yeah. stuff. Um, and right, like Kroxa would be the other card that it manages yes. really well. Well, I it, think Kroxa is really bad in the mirror. I saw most people board it out in, mm-hmm. from what I saw. So I, yeah, I definitely agree. It's for, it's mostly for like the big decks that are, that like want to utilize their card advantage. So yeah, I, I think, and maybe it's because most, like a fair number of the matches we saw were like mirror matches, but Kroxa just didn't look good. <laughs> the, no, like, it really all, didn't. Ever. <laughs> yeah. And I played a good bit of Rakdos Aristocrats, and it always felt pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's just never really what you wanted to do. Especially without Meyer Triton, like, mm-hmm. your graveyard just doesn't fill up that quickly with yeah. stuff you want to exile, and it, it's, it just doesn't do that. It, it's like operating on a totally different axis from the entire rest of your deck, kind yeah, of. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it... You're, you are a board presence deck. Mm-hmm. And I saw, I was watching this stream where, uh, I think it was an LSV stream, where LSV was playing like some counterspell deck or something. Mm-hmm. And he played against a, uh, a Rakdos Luris deck and he like held up a counterspell on their turn because all he really wanted to do was like trade a card in his hand for their board presence. Right. And then they cast a Kroxa. So he was just able to do that without... And he was just and he was just like, I was going to counter literally anything that you put on the stack, but I guess I just won't. I guess I'll just like discard this clunky six drop from my hand. Yeah. So... Yeah. <laughs> and then cast my chemistry's right. insight or whatever. Like, yeah. yeah. So, right. So when you're like a board presence deck and you're really trying to get under your opponent and develop your, you know, your board presence with your mana efficiency, mm-hmm. having a two mana, your opponent discards a card... Like, it's only ever going to be good if you can get to the second half of it, and what you're doing just doesn't really synergize well with the second half of it. Right. And, and you know, by that point in the game, you're really hoping to do multiple things at once. Yeah. And casting Kroxa from your graveyard is usually, like, you that's your one thing for the turn, mm-hmm. and, and then you're kind of spent. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just not... The only thing that makes it, like, oh, okay, is when you play it sacrifice it to oven get your two foods and yeah like, yeah that well, that's nice, nice. <laughs> for sure but for sure yeah but it's a little kind of on the too cute side of things yeah right yeah i mean especially game one like a lot of their cards are bad against you anyways mm-hmm. like they're fine getting ravens crimed yeah so uh yeah croak said not impressive the the red card that is good so there's there's two things here that i think are important that you get for sticking with red um i think claim the firstborn is quite good it's the best thing in the mirrors good in the mirrors and it gives you a better tool for fighting against uro than pretty much anything in the black white deck yeah you know you have to side in actual removal spells for uro that that don't really you know epic downfall or whatever or i guess d spark doesn't work so yeah epic downfall is is what stanley went with so yeah not the most exciting it does the job yeah (laughs) you'd you'd rather steal it and sacrifice it yeah no for sure for sure so claim the firstborn is really important and that is a big loss and Embrett's Shieldbreaker is pretty important. It's okay in the mirrors, mm-hmm. but one thing we saw is like, all right, I got your oven, but Luris reanimates ovens as well as creatures. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's not necessarily a huge advantage. Yeah. But if everybody's bringing Grafdigger's Cages to the table, mm-hmm. Embrett's Shieldbreaker is a way better answer than the card yeah. Disenchant. Yeah, so. I saw Stanley tweet out this week, 
everybody's playing a bunch of Graft Digger's Cages, you have to have minimum two disenchants in your deck. Yeah. And if I don't you're want playing Luris. I don't want that. Like I want the the one that's a, that gives me a creature too. Like, sure. Yeah. That seems way better to me right now. No, absolutely. The huge advantage of the black white deck is mostly that you get. Since I, I assume we're just like kind of ignoring Hushbringer at this point because Garuda <laughs> is is hopefully off the table for most people. Yeah. But the the card that was quite good for Stanley and like part of his plans all the time was Cruel Celebrant. Mm-hmm. Just like. You can't run Mayhem Devil anymore. Yeah. Here's an analog to it. Sure. You, you can't have a Midnight Reaper either, so you don't have anything that's just like, I'm sacrificing cats. Let me see if I can, you know, get a secondary advantage off of this. Right. And so that's the card that does that. Yeah. Yeah, I was, you know, and that was certainly like a big part of his primary plan. And it, it felt like fundamentally he was able to play this aristocrats style game where he just like develops this big board state that is putting pressure on your opponent. And then also the synergy with Cruel Celebrant means that, like, if your opponent deals with your board state, they're going to get punished for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're sacrificing things the whole time. Right. So, yeah, it just seemed very impressive. Yeah. I mean, in our, our finals, we watched um, Sandoich mm-hmm. cast Flame Sweep against Stanley. And take eight damage. Take eight damage. <laughs> right. It's so much damage. That's too much damage. Yeah. And then you yeah. just die to a cat right. eventually. Yeah. That happened. And then Stanley was like, all right, lure us another thing yeah and that yeah, was it that's it and yeah that was enough pressure to take sandwich down from the low life delegate it was at yeah yeah he was at like 13 but you know effective with those creatures on board like he had no way of dealing with them without taking a million damage so yep. so so that's really cool and then stanley had some other really heads up choices in like the the cavern lamp pad in his deck to provide yeah. an additional sacrifice outlet that mm-hmm. he could tutor for right that, that also contributed to the picking you out Yep. game plan right i don't know what is the best build going forward i have heard a lot of talk that it's possible that what you actually want to be doing with black red is playing an obosh the prey piercer version mm-hmm. because then you can run mayhem devil and you can also run several lurises in your main deck so you're not giving up that angle completely sure. and yeah. you still get the i have a companion for card advantage <laughs> like side of the equation yeah yeah some sort of sacrifice deck is going to remain good. Yep. It just depends on how you want to build it. Yep, certainly. We've talked a lot about Lurus. Yeah. But maybe we should talk a little bit about the other dominant deck of this tournament, which actually didn't have a companion, which right. is Team of Reclamation. Team of Reclamation. Just old faithful. Yep. Like, it was pretty much exactly the same as it has been, or at least like exactly the same as Zan's build of yeah. it from, from our last standard. Yeah, several people brought the Nightpack Ambusher version. Mm-hmm. Zach Allen brought like a regular version. And sure. He was, you know, the top performing player that missed the top eight, basically. Yeah. But I think both of the top eight lists were Nightpack Ambusher versions. The main pickup that Team Rec got from the new set was Shark Typhoon. Yeah. Which I, it's just better than I thought it was. Yeah, it's just no, a better certainly. card. Um, yeah, we should both definitely talk about how we underestimated it during our set review. We were like, that's a big clunker. Yeah. That's not going to do anything. But it turns out, like, the way that Standard plays out right now, you make a lot of land drops in these grindy games. And w- when players are doing that and holding up counter spells and interacting mm-hmm. with each other, being able to just, like, make a 4-4 and draw a card on your opponent's instep. Yeah. Very, Un- uncounterable. Very yeah. Like, yeah, it, it just is the thing that we wanted and now i can't even remember the name of the card because it's so bad but the the 
six mana uncounterable like draw two that you then amass equal to the number of cards in your hand oh yeah that card you know man no idea you're like i wonder if this will be a thing but probably not and then it never was of course yeah and shark typhoon is just a way better version of that effect yep and it does a pretty good job of pressuring to fairies and i mean you know it's not the best it's no like legion war boss or whatever Sure. But as a main deck solution to like, oh crap, they got it to Teferi down. Right. Like it does something. I'll cycle a card and make a 2-2 and that just deals with a Teferi. Yeah. 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 So Shark Typhoon was a pretty huge addition to that deck. Also very good in t- certain types of fires decks. It's just a third th- third spell Yeah, that you can do. Yeah. No, a very crucial there. Yeah. And you have all your mana every time. Right. With fires out. So. Right. So there's no reason not to do it for X equals five mm-hmm. and then it's pretty yeah. impressive. Or you could just cast it and then cast a big spell and you're off to the races. <laughs> I've done it. When you, right. When you go Shark Typhoon, Elspeth Conquers down, <laughs> it feels good. good. It's good. Yeah. feels very good. Yeah. So Wilderness Reclamation, and, and we were all talking about that before mm-hmm. the tournament. Yeah. Like, is it just the right deck for this weekend? Like, it, you can go over the top of the Sacrifice decks. You yep. can counter Garuda. Right. Like, you're strong against fires. And is this it? And it, it kind of was. Had a... a the highest win percentage of any of the widely played decks this weekend, almost 60%. Yeah, definitely creeping up there. And we definitely noticed that just like, you know, starting at round four in the tournament, we were like, wow, Reclamation decks are crushing it. Yeah. And and they continued to. I think, I don't know exactly how many were in our top eight, but they it definitely like littered the top 16 as mm-hmm. well. So, yeah. Uh, and we saw like a number of our matches were especially like our backup matches where we kind of don't have a lot of opportunity to select exactly what we want to see we just sure. put on what what is available mm-hmm. a lot of those matches were oh okay it's you know Alluris deck versus team reclamation <laughs> yeah that's the, the matchup of the tournament for yeah. sure yeah and you know that matchup played out in a pretty specific way which is that the sacrifice deck tries to get whatever damage it can early on and then turns to pings before it you know dies to the gigantic wilderness reclamation engine yeah and also has to dodge just losing to uro in the middle of that but <laughs> true you know the the matchup mostly seemed to favor the reclamation decks mm-hmm. except like you know stanley had a really good plan yep and i know that after the tournament after the final sandwich tweeted like you know, his deck was great. I lost him in the Swiss. I lost in the finals and didn't feel like I had anything meaningful that I could do to stop him from killing me. Yeah. And I think that the cruel celebrants were really what did mm-hmm. that for him. Um, just having that resilient pressure, being able to like get a board presence on the board with a cool, cruel celebrant, even if it gets swept, you can rebuild really quickly. And there isn't a ton of ways of gaining life out of the team of reclamation deck. Yeah. It's really just Uro. So if you're able to establish an early Uro, I think that's probably your best shot. Mm-hmm. But the Reclamation deck isn't amazing at doing that. Yeah. We ended up actually like trimming on Uro quite a bit mm-hmm. in towards the end of last standard for that deck. So yeah, I mean the the pings are definitely gonna add up. So yeah. if you can like really double down on that plan with Cruel Celebrant, I think that Orzov is gonna end up being better off against Reclamation than Rakdos. That's possible. Yeah. And you can even run Demystify if you really want to. Sure. If that's an angle that you think is mm-hmm. is useful. But yeah. I think it might be not be because you just want all your cards to deal damage, kind of. <laughs> so, yeah. eh. Eh. One card that was not impressive was Dreadhorde Butcher. Even in that matchup, mm-hmm. it just, like, never did 
significant amounts of damage, it seemed like. No, it it never converts to however much you need it to. Yeah. For sure. And, like, once in a blue moon, you'll be like, all right, I got my butcher down early. It became, like, a 4-4. Four, four, mm-hmm. And then my opponent killed it and it dealt, like, a chunk of damage to their face. Yeah. But... So that's so rare. It yeah, that is like the best scenario, and it happens very infrequently. It's and and again, it's down to the composition of these decks. Like these black red decks, you know, they try to deal damage and they have this ping out like burn you out sort of game, mm-hmm. but they're really not like aggressive decks that are really taking advantage of like a haste creature on turn two. In yeah. in like they don't have like a bunch of removal to easily clear blockers efficiently or anything like that. Like, you don't have, like, Ember Cleave to put on it to get it through or anything like that. So it's just not... The the card is kind of medium, and this deck is still just not really the deck for it. (laughs) Yep. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of evolution still to happen for these decks. So if you have Butcher in your deck and you don't have Fiend Artisan, just... Just, just, just switch them. Just swatch those. Yeah, yeah. It'll be good. Um, Fiend Artisan, I think, is better against Reclamation, too. Because yeah. you can like let them kill all your Whisper squads and then play it as a 4-4 and none of their spells kill it anymore. Yeah, and the, all of their stuff is damage-based yeah. removal. So if you, can, if you can get up to a 4-4, it becomes very difficult. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Unfortunately, the Yorion Fires deck did not perform up to Zan's expectations this tournament. Yeah, um, Zan fell a little short of top 8. He ended up X3, I think, in the tournament. And overall, 4-color Yorion. Yorion? I'm, I'm eh. going to stick with Yorion. Yeah, it didn't perform very well. It had a 39% win percentage in the tournament. Also yeah. pretty low as far as things go. Well, it's quite bad against the Reclamation decks. Mm, um, yeah. You you just can't maneuver around their stuff mm-hmm. in a reasonable way. Counterspells are rough, and when the counterspells in the format are so polarized, mm-hmm. like, Mystical Dispute is just far and away better than any other counterspell in the deck. Yeah. And when you're playing against another Mystical Dispute deck, and they have 60 cards, and you have 80 cards, yeah. you're just you're at a disadvantage. pretty diluted. Yeah. I think that is definitely a factor there. Yeah. Um, I will say, top... Decks by just representation in this tournament, we go Rakdos Aristocrats, Jeskai Fires, Bant Garuda, Team of Reclamation, and then Four Color Fires. Yeah. And I do think that the Four Color Fires decks are like pretty heavily favored against any build of the Aristocrats decks mm-hmm. and also against Jeskai Fires. Yeah. Um, but it just wasn't enough given the presence of some flash decks in the tournament and then, you know, Wilderness Reclamation just doing well all tournament long. Yeah. Like, you just run sure. into those. Right. Um, I know Zan has a new build of Yorion Fires. Yeah, I was going to mention about Zan has not given up on no. on Yorion. He's still a, a big believer. So if you like and if you enjoy that strategy, you should definitely check out. He's been tweeting about it. He's been streaming with it. Uh, definitely a lot of resources still with that, but to be determined on whether or not it can keep up with everything else. Right. I mean, I will say like. And, and ladder is its own thing or whatever, but I definitely, like, I played it. It's the main deck that I was playing in Standard just to see what was going on before commentating a tournament, mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't lose. <laughs> I just couldn't. Like, yeah. I just marched up to Diamond and lost, like, two matches total or something. I mean, Urion is, is certainly powerful. Mm-hmm. It's very, very powerful, and its interactions with Fires are extremely sweet. Yeah. So, Right, the sequence is, and I don't... You know, we watched one match with Daniel D'Amato where I don't know if he messed this up or if he was just 
sometimes it's just not worth the clicks. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting like a, a seven for one off your card, why why make it a ten yeah. for one? <laughs> but so the the trick, the joke of your iron in the fires deck is sure. that you know your best turns are when you untap with the fires, cast a big spell as your first spell with fires, cast your iron as your second spell. You blink all of your omens and all of your planeswalkers that you want to reset, and you also blink your fires, which unlocks your mana. Yes. Because the fires doesn't come back to the end step. Yes. So you cast all the spells that are stuck in your hand. And this is the thing that kind of allows you to run Growth Spiral and Arboreal Grazer in a fires deck. Is They get stuck in your hand, but you always have a turn where you get to unlock your hand, unlock your mana, and unload your spells. Right. And so cast all the spells you can from your hand, and then your fires comes back, and you're ready to go, you know. But but you've just cast, like, four, five plus spells in a turn. So. Pretty crazy. It it's wild. Yeah. So you know, also very fun to play, and also a very difficult deck to yeah. play. A so. lot of a lot of lines. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, a lot of lines, and you don't have access. It's like you get a variety of different games because your mm-hmm. deck is larger. So yeah, pretty cool there. And the sideboard is really. It, it's kind of like a perfect deck to have a wish board because your sideboard co- slots are like kind of ineffective anyways because yeah. boarding cards into an 80 card deck feels like a nonsense maneuver <laughs> it kind of does yeah i agree with that some build of that deck is mm-hmm. probably fine but certainly yeah. didn't perform up to you know where you would want it at this right. tournament some other just a few more archetypes i want to touch on uh some other archetype like one of the other archetypes that was talked up a lot leading into this tournament was just like the regular demir flash deck mm-hmm did not perform very well no on the other end of that uh, idea an, a deck that i did not really see advertised at all but showed up in a relatively big way was mono black aggro yeah so this is like the andre strosky the mm-hmm. deck that, that andre strosky played so i think yep. the whole check house played it or, or has been playing it i think uh caroline kavanaugh played it as mm-hmm. well yeah, um, and I think she ended up doing quite well in this top turn. sixteen, I yeah. believe. Yeah, um, and Strosky, I think, ended up dropping early from the event, still alive. It was six a.m. his time. Yeah, so he went to sleep, but he was five one at that <laughs> right. point. Yeah, so you know, could could have made it for sure. Yeah, so that's definitely you know, if you're looking for some different angles on standard, mm-hmm. we we'll definitely check out Mono Black Aggro. I think it is strong, and it's so it's called Mono Black Aggro on this list, but it's actually kind of grindier. Then so this is a um, Meyer Triton Luris deck. Sure, is is kind of what it's it's based around, and it yep. does have the Whisper Squads, and yeah, it, it it's capable of playing like a very very long game. Is it, kind of what it's designed to do for um, Call of the Death Dweller. So you kind of yep. just maximizing its ability to have Luris in play all game long, right? And when your deck is all one and two drops, mm-hmm. like Call of Death Dweller is, that's good. Just a strong card. Yeah. It essentially just allows you to double spell for one card. Mm-hmm. Pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that, that spell was pretty impressive mm-hmm. all, all weekend. Yeah. And a lot of times it was just in the Luris mirrors and stuff. Yeah. After you have each dealt with each other's Lurises, it's by far the best draw in the entire deck. Yeah, yeah exactly. Even just like having it in your hand when you haven't cast Luris yet is really reassuring because you there are a lot of times where you're like, Okay, you know, I really want to get a Luris turn in. I, you know, I'd like to be able to go Luris and something else, but mm-hmm. I know that my opponent's going to deal with this in some capacity. So being able to, like, say, okay, I have this in my hand, I can, like, Luris into one drop, and then they'll deal with it, and then I'll Luris and do something again next turn. Yep. Very powerful. Yeah, definitely. So you're right. 
find the best ways to abuse your Luris and you'll be you'll be in okay shape. You're off to the races. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see how standard develops from there. I mean, the engines that seem Oh, also Jeskai Fire is just, you know, was heavily played and did just fine. Mm-hmm. Um Kruger the Macro Sage, that's just like a free addition to the deck. Yeah. Quite good. Yep. And the Cavalier package. I mean, there's only one Cavalier now, nobody runs uh Cavalier of Gales anymore. <laughs> yeah. You you would just want the haste guys, so you run like three Cavalier of Flames or four Cavalier of Flames, three Kenrith, and right. those are your monsters. Mm-hmm. And it because you can always pair them with your Karuga. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you just always have the second body to give haste. Like, yeah, deck is continues <laughs> to be powerful and is significantly more consistent now because you just always have another five. Right, right. So I was very impressed with that moving forward. Yeah, definitely. So standard, like, honestly, we've been, if R&D has mainly been focusing on making standard good, I like standard a lot right now. I think that it's, like, there's a lot of different ways that you can approach it that are viable. Um, I, it doesn't really seem like any of these strategies are running away with it. Yeah. So even though Luris is everywhere. <laughs> I'm interested in trying some more, some, like, kind of different Luris strategies as okay. well. I know that Sam Black posted something about, like, a Golgari Luris deck. And I think now that we have a more identified metagame, you can build a more reactive uh, Luris deck. Okay. I, I don't know exactly how to do it because, like, you know, Deadweight is the best possible card in the mirror. And it's it has no text against Fires or Wilderness Reclamation. Sure. So it's a little complicated to build, like, a reactive version of the deck <laughs> when, you know, you want totally different compositions for different stuff in the metagame. Right. Uh, but one card that I think is really potentially sweet with Luris against the normal Luris decks is uh, Chevelle Bane of Monsters. That's the green-black 1-3 that puts bounty counters on guys, and then when they die, you know, you gain three life and draw a card. Okay, yeah. So, you know, if you ever, like, are using that with removal spells, mm-hmm. you're going to pull way ahead and never die to their pings and stuff. Yeah. And it's, you know, cheap and, and easy to, to do on there. Right. And maybe you don't need another card advantage engine. You just need to, like, have all the call to death dwellers so you can have <laughs> Luris in play. But, yeah, um, you know, I played a little with that card on ladder, and it was very impressive against Mono Red and against other Luris decks. So, yeah. And another thing I'd be looking for for a deck like that is, like, big mana like non-permanent threats like, yeah i wonder if there are anything yeah i tried uh and this isn't a threat but and it's hard to find threats that aren't permanents of sure. course yeah but i i tried um casualties of war and it was like pretty unimpressive okay so i would think stuff that's more like mana sinks like you can still do fiend artisan and that's one way of doing it i don't know you are allowed to play voracious hydra in your <laughs> Luris deck sure you can't really get it back with Luris though because i believe that you can only cast it with cmc2 is my understanding oh, of how that really? works yeah oh. i don't think you can cast a walking ballista for x equals two with Luris. you can only cast it with x equals one huh interesting um because i do know that there is like the Luris scales deck in pioneer but... right right but so you that's can unfortunate just... for them <laughs> i mean but it, you still get to run those cards yeah, just yeah, yeah some of them you can't get back okay but you still like if you have a hardened scales or a snake in play you can still cast walking ballista or hanger back walker for the amount that you want to cast which yeah, is yeah, one yeah. right so, right right for sure or if you have a mimic in play you can cast them from your graveyard with x equals zero and just like get your free graveyard cast like love to see it yeah yeah who needs mishra's bobble <laughs> i mean everyone could use a mishra's bobble <laughs> Yeah, so 
Standard is developing. Yep. We'll see where it goes. I, I think there's interesting space to explore given even given the constraints on the format that Loris provides. I'm very glad that Garuda is not the defining part of the metagame. That was like the spooky one for me. Like the other ones being the top competitors still leads for interesting games. Yeah. But Garuda being like the top thing that you can be doing would not lead towards interesting games. Sure. So I'm glad that it panned out the way that it did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe it is a little early to talk about Pioneer because our, our Pioneer tournament isn't until the next weekend. So we're because we're doing alternating weekends now for tournaments. Indeed. But it was kind of on my mind and we can preview it a little bit. Sure. And then just sort of go from there. And there are some results to talk about from yeah. last weekend. Yeah, we've got a super qualifier. It's kind of the big one that had a bunch of a bunch of names playing in and a bunch mm -hmm. of uh, of good players doing pretty well. Uh, a lot of companions yes. at the top of these. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think this is a Luris Burn deck that finished the Swiss at 8-0. Yep. That has basically creature burn spells in it. <laughs> in Gitu Lavaretta, Monastery Swiss Spear, Eidolon, and Viachino Pyromancer we're seeing for the first time in these yep. Pioneer decks. Yep. Um, and backed up by just solid burn spells as well. You know, you get to run Light of the Stages, you get to run Boris Charm, Wild Slash, stuff like that. Yeah, Boris Charm, the only main deck white spell. Ah, <laughs> eh, sure. It's not quite, you yeah. know, modern burn. But... You gotta fit your Luris in there somehow, so yeah. you might as well play Boris Charm. Yeah, I mean, and you do make your mana a lot worse. <laughs> it's true. But this is definitely, seems to be one of the top decks coming out of Luris, or uh, coming out of Companions introduced to Pioneer. Yeah. You know, Luris has made, I think, the most impact so far. Uh, and the two main Luris decks I've seen are this burn deck and then also SRAM Auras. Yeah, I think that was, the finals was a mirror between two SRAM Auras decks. I think, the, yeah, the finals, so... I don't know if they got played or whatever, but... What we're looking at right now is the, I think, the, um, the super qualifier. Yeah. The next day when these lists had been posted, so Team 5C was the first person to play this Orzov mm. Oras deck with Luris. Yeah. The next day, a bunch of people picked up pretty much Team 5C's 75. Oh, right. And in the challenge. In the challenge, they crushed it. Yeah. So there was like four copies in the top eight and then a, a finals mirror of essentially this yeah. deck. And, and this deck was already, was always like on the border. Mm -hmm. Like it had powerful draws, but there were ways of obviously screwing up the Auras deck that didn't have actual hexproof creatures. Yeah. But now with Luris to rebuild every time that they manage to kill your thing through your protection. Yeah. yeah. And and one thing that, that Luris is doing here that we saw... Oh man, whose deck did we see it in during the tournament? But Luris plus Alciate of Life's Bounty is actually huge. Oh, Abe Corrigan. Yeah, that's right. And Abe's deck had this. You can just keep bringing this back to protect your Luris, yep. or if it's in play and you cast Luris and keep a mana up, like, they just can't get rid of your engine anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, and, and Alcide of Life's Bounty, obviously, already just an excellent card in this deck. Yep. So that, that really helps the package be cohesive and, and powerful. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, really impressed with this deck so far. Uh, it just, yeah, Luris adds so much to this deck and just the, the consistency. Mm -hmm. You're able, you're like, it's much more difficult to grind through it. And that was mainly, I think, Inverter's plan for mm -hmm. this deck was just to interact a bunch and then eventually combo kill you. Yeah. But the interaction plan was just really good against this deck. But now with Luris, that's just completely changed. Right, because you can't start off planning to Thought Seize the deck that starts with the best card <laughs> in the right. command zone or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, like Thoughtseize deck's got a lot worse. 
just generally mm-hmm. in magic. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, Loris has certainly made its impact. Some other companions that have made an impact in Pioneer, Urion. So I know that Source Odin on Magic Online has been playing a Urion mono-white build. I don't know if this, this is, is it. not it. Let, let, let me go to the challenge. I don't even know if these lists are up yet, because I think that this tournament happened today. Oh, okay. Or m- maybe yesterday. Yeah, no, well, today. Today's Wednesday, right? <laughs> I mean, let's see if there was one for the challenge, because I do remember seeing some Urion decks, but I'm not sure if that's the one. Well, I, I was just keeping up with... On, like, on Twitter. On Twitter, yeah. The, essentially just, like, making mono-white a little bigger... Mm-hmm. Um and just more value oriented. Sure. All of the cards. There are a lot of cards that you can put into that deck that work really well with flicker effects. Okay. So. Yeah. I mean that makes sense. Like you've already got your owls in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Thraben inspectors. So yep. that's a really good start. So just being able to grind through that plan and then you know occasionally you'll have a walking lista and a heliot out. But I mean that, that was never plan A <laughs> anyways. Yes. It was always kind of like advertised as plan A. Right. But if you actually played that deck, it happens very infrequently. You're playing a mid range deck. Yeah. So it's really just doubling down on that fact. Yeah. And and I mean the the main thing that having the combo in your deck does is make your opponent have to adopt screwy play patterns to not die to it. Yeah. And that is very valuable on its own. Yeah. So, right, so I was keeping up with Kane on Twitter, and uh, I think, like, watching a bit of his stream, and he was doing really well with that deck. Yeah. Um, we have, yeah, multiple other companion decks here. So there's... This is the Obosh. This is the Obosh Gruel deck. Yeah. So there was a period of time early in Pioneer, where, and, and still to some extent, where it's like, man, the two jobs are terrible. Can we just play Elves in threes? <laughs> and that's what this does. Yes. Uh, this is just another reason to do that. You yep. play Obosh, and then Obosh doubles all the damage. And when you're doubling the damage of all of your threes, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. You can double the damage of Clothis uh yeah you do double the damage of clothes god of destiny this is you gain two life and clothes deals four damage to each opponent then yeah pretty crazy your your obosh has to be in play for a turn cycle for that to happen yeah and you'll find that very frequently that doesn't happen not because obosh dies but because your opponent dies (laughs) which is nice (laughs) yes um yeah so obosh has definitely performed above our expectations and Mm -hmm. in a way that we didn't like really expect or predict right. well we just thought that the you know the restriction on not being able to play even spells would be too much but i mean odd is a lot easier yeah. than all all odds is a lot easier than all evens right. you it's really hard to use all of your mana right. when you're on all evens you can add up odds to come up to even numbers of mana though so it's it's much better <laughs> that way yes right you can go one into one one but you can't ever you're just off ones entirely if you're right. only on evens so right, right. there goes your first turn <laughs> play some scry lands right and so that's why like i don't think we're gonna see a modern garuda deck right because in modern you can't skip your turn one aiming yeah. to cast a six drop yeah. like somebody will do it and do fine at some point but i doubt that it'll be a mainstay but the Pioneer Garuda deck does seem to be at an acceptable power level for yes. the format. I mean, not, and I'm not saying like acceptable as in like, oh yeah, this is all fine. I mean, like <laughs> it's powerful enough to compete or beat the other decks. Yes. No, right. It, it is a player, certainly. Yeah. Um, there are enough clones in Pioneer to really just turn through your deck. Mm-hmm. You we're, know, we're lucky in standard that the one that stays in play is the standard legal one. So a spark double is mm-hmm. certainly probably the best clone that you can hit. 
Um, all the other ones are essentially rebuys until you can hit enough spark doubles and then eventually a Dragon Lord Kologon. Yeah, but the way that this one is built is it is extremely clone dense. So there's mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, five, five, four of, so 20, 22 clones and then three more Garudas. Right. So 25 hits in a 60 card deck. Uh, so this version of the deck is quite likely to just go all the way through. Yes. Or at least right. go until it hits a Dragular Coligan. And that's why you see two Coligans in, in this deck, mm -hmm. because you really want to hit your Coligans late and not early. Because right. you like in order to kill them, you need to hit a couple of Spark Doubles specifically. All the other clones are going to get Legend ruled out. Yep. So, yeah, you like you're hoping to get a couple of Spark Doubles that stick around and then a Coligan to attack them. Oh, Crazy Ship does point out, uh, if you hit once you hit a Spark Double, all of your clones can copy the Spark Double, and they're not legendary. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So once you hit the first Spark Double, you're pretty safe. Okay. Wow. Way more consistent than I had in my mind. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's not... Except if it's good, it's probably just not acceptable. It's just, it's just like a cheeky way to play the game of magic you know <laughs> i just it's just not playing the game of magic really uh, yeah, yeah i get you know i get it <laughs> yeah get some thought not seers in the sideboard to really grind through those counter spells i guess yeah i yeah, feel I like mean, this yeah, deck also something. needs something like a uh destiny spinner but who knows it's possible yeah i mean there's a lot of mystical disputes mm -hmm. in pioneer as well right. and also every format in magic the gathering yeah um, and like, fortunately, Garuda's restriction keeps you from playing the two best cards against Mystical Dispute, which are your own Mystical Disputes and Teferi Time Raveler. Mm -hmm. So thank God that that is not allowed to be put into combination together. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do think that this deck looks impressive in Pioneer and looks like it has a high level of consistency and... Mm -hmm basically just is going to cast Garuda on turn four every game, and that should do something pretty real. Yeah. So, who knows? Yep. But I guess if Obosh, Stompy, or whatever is a main deck of the format, like, it, it, it would be really nice to have an actual aggro deck as part of the format. You know, Pioneer had become, like modern, like, pretty much a grind fest where you're just like trying to stop your opponent from doing a combo to you and then you're trading resources like mm. i i appreciate having a com uh, having a real aggro deck available to us if that's sure. something that we can do yeah you know the more macro archetypes represented the better in my mind yeah yeah and you know yeah as we said the winding constrictor decks now have access to uh Luris if they want it mm -hmm. you don't have to if you really right. want to play vivian but you pro like are most of the lotus breach decks adopting Luris at this point well so the main problem with that is that vizier of tumbling sands is a three mana permanent uh, okay. so you lose one of your untaps sure and it may not be worth it most of the lists that i've seen are not okay Luris versions yeah because i i hopped on to caleb Sher's stream mm -hmm. he was streaming the pioneer challenge and i noticed that there was no Luris, and yeah. i just kind of like put that in the back of my mind as like oh yeah that's just one of the free Luris decks. yeah i kind but, of thought so too because you know to me vizier tumbling sands is a two mana <laughs> twiddle right right but yeah okay that makes sense yeah um so i can see like it's not that necessary right it's not free and so then you have to weigh the costs, and definitely Vizier is a really good card in that deck. So mm -hmm. it's 
there's probably something to playing Luris in the deck, and especially like if the format. The more people are thought seizing you, the more you want Luris as part of your plan. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, hard to hard to tell exactly where Pioneer is going to go after this, but it definitely seems like. Yeah, so here's oh in both standard we've been seeing this some, and and now in Pioneer here is a Yorion Bant deck. Yeah, that uses Omen of the Sea, Elspeth Conquers Death, and also just has a bunch of creatures, Seder Wayfinders, and Thraven Inspectors. Mm-hmm. Like this Bant deck is pretty sweet. This is just the standard Bant deck, pretty much of last format, except for it's playing you know the good cards that it didn't have access to earlier, like Th- Thraven Inspector and Supreme Verdict. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is actually, like, it has a lot in common with the Sultai deck, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because it has that, like, Seder, Wayfinder, Corsair of Krufix, yeah. Uro, right, like, right, to it. But then, obviously, has the the blue-white stuff, Seven mm-hmm. to Fairies, and Gross <laughs> Spider, or Supreme Verdicts, and yeah. Elspeth Conquers Deaths, yeah. Right. If you can put seven to fairies in your deck, you yeah, probably you should. Can. And if you got eighty cards, like you definitely can fit seven to fairies <laughs> into that thing. Yeah, uh, like you know, I've definitely seen your seen your Ion in a lot of modern decks, mainly because of what's the card I'm thinking of? Soul Herder. Yes, was a strategy that it seemed to fit just exact perfectly into. Like it was yeah. already playing all of the flicker things that were powerful, and you could never find room for all the stuff you wanted to flicker in mm-hmm. the soul herder deck anyways. Right. So yeah, make it, make it 80 cards. And so now we're kind of seeing a similar concept here in pioneer. Yep. And a lot more omen of the sea love. Once you get, <laughs> once you get your Yurian into your uh, sideboard. I wonder how many different pronunciations we can fit into <laughs> Yurian, this. Yurian, Yurian, Yurian. I'm just... pretty sure it's Yurian. Man, I don't know. I we'll there's literally to... no way of knowing. We'll have to Google the uh, pronounce this word. God, look at this prelim. Just like the decks people chose to play are entirely Ors of Ors or Burn. The uh, like if you play in Pioneer leagues right now, it is very very dominated by burn and orzavers hmm. um i think that mostly because those are just like the default decks to go to sure. i really don't think that that is where things are going to mellow out once people i mean even with the existence of luris like that's an exploitable metagame right surely yeah. you know run some legions ends run some answers for luris right. like run some stuff that goes over the top of these things happening to you and mm-hmm. You know, you, you can probably figure it out. I don't know exactly what the deck is for that, but, you know, you could just start from scratch and build something that beats these two decks, definitely. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. It'll be interesting to see where things pan out. I think I think Pioneer is definitely one of the formats that uh, feels a little narrow right now, but I just, I just am not convinced that people have gotten creative enough. Listen... So- we got a bunch of companions that haven't top aided pioneer tournaments yet, so we got to get working on those. On those yeah, we, right. Yeah, <laughs> what we've just got what Garuda, Obosh, Luris, Urian. Mm-hmm. What are the other ones again? So the other ones are uh, like it drops off pretty heavily well, in power. I mean, there's probably mind. something you can like. You know, in standard, mm-hmm. there was a an idea of a Mystic Forge deck with uh, the green black. Mori yeah. is that his name? Yeah. And you know, there's more artifacts in Pioneer than in Standard. Sure. There's probably some that something deck was you could kind do. of fundamentally flawed though, because it sure. really involves untapping with your four mana creature. Yeah, that's tough. Like, like, sir, maybe you can like land your Mystic Forge, and then on the turn that you want to go off, play your companion. 
but you know the consistency isn't quite there because it's not your companion that's allowing you to go off it's mainly mystic Forge. sure sure but yeah definitely definitely some 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 room for innovation in my mind for pioneer yeah and uh, I will be excited to see the results of the challenge, or no, the the super that happened today. Mm-hmm. The only thing I really saw was from Kane's perspective. I didn't really see any on Twitter, any of the other archetypes that okay. had made it. Yeah. Sure. But I um, probably just haven't looked into it quite yet enough. Yeah. No, that'll be good to check out. And then today's Wednesday. This weekend, we're not having a tournament. But weekend after that, we are having a Pioneer tournament. And hopefully... You know, we will just have full-on coverage of that thing, and we'll have VODs, and we'll have meta breakdowns, yeah. and well, we will be learning a lot from that thing. Yeah, for sure. Very, yeah, very happy that the <laughs> the format that is uh, the most open right now, in my perspective, is the one that we're going to be playing in next, yeah. next weekend. I mean, <clears throat> next tournament. Right, right. So like 10 days or so. I, I mean, both Modern and Legacy, I think, have big fundamental hurdles mm-hmm. to be jumped at this moment. Right. Uh, like most most people who have been playing modern have just expressed like, yeah, this format's not good right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of burn taking over, I've heard that like every match that you play is against burn. Right I've, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, I mean, I've heard that, you know, basically we're not going to really spend a lot of time on, on modern today. That that wasn't the intent of this episode, but pretty much Loris has taken over the format entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, you know, like ad nauseum, won the what a ptq or whatever a, a moto ptq um given that it's just exploiting like the things that loris was doing it's right. very good against burn. But you're, yeah your burn matchup is very good with ad nauseum yeah so if that's like all that you're playing against a bunch of burn decks then yep. you're gonna do great right and you know thought sees is fundamentally way worse now because right. they're all loris decks but you know you look at these lists and you've got okay here's burn here's Luris Jund, which is just like, all right, Liliana is actually just not good enough compared to having access to Luris. We just play these Misha's Bobbles, play a couple of Seals of Fire to help your target oh, yeah. out, and great with Luris. Love a good Seal of Fire. Yeah, and and then it's just the Jund cards, and then you have this insane Jund engine like <laughs> combination, like whatever threat you need, and also it's your Dark Confidant right card. Yeah. That's um, your eighth card in hand. Yep, humans with Gigantha, the Wellspring, and the sideboard. Just... We were, we, you know, we were talking about how that was going to happen. Yep. It's like, all right, you playing humans? Just slap a five-five in there. Yep, it's fine. Mm, Willie Adol playing straight uh, green black with Luris of the Dream Den, Death Shadow, which is definitely a bold. You lose your street rates. You do lose your street rates. Also, Luris has lifelink. Well, I guess you try not to rumble with it. It's an enchantment. It's <laughs> Yeah, but you still like in a deck like this, you really want your like your Loris to be a threat as well, right? Yeah. So I I love so this is a traverse deck and it has a main deck Dranith Magistrate. Yeah. Which is from the new set. Your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands, which includes companions. So <laughs> if you get yeah uh if you get delirium quickly and then can just put your dranith magistrate into play and lock out their luris then you certainly are going to win the luris wars yeah sounds great does this deck have any way yeah no like Coligan's command oh unearths okay two unearths that's that's sick but yeah unearth combos pretty well with luris yeah that's your luris excellent bring it back one mana even yeah definitely a bunch of new cards in this list actually there's a footfall crater as well yeah i 
I don't really get that one. I guess it's just pretty free to include because it's a cycle card. Yeah. So I think that it's, it's th- just this is one red for an enchant land. Enchanted land has tap target creature gains trample and hasten the line of turn. Oh, it's just an enchantment one. cycle card. Yeah. Okay. It's primarily an enchantment cycle card, but there are turns where you will cast a death shadow, cast this, give the death shadow haste and trample and kill yeah. them. Uh, All right. I'm in. I love giving um, my death shadows trample. Or, you know, bring back Kroxa. Mm-hmm. give it haste and trample yeah. get two triggers off of it and hit them for a lot yeah. like you don't want a lot of these <laughs> footfalls in your deck but yeah, but it cycles for one how bad could it be it cycles for one and you can cast it with luris when you want that haste Ooh. so you know okay that's something it's something you're selling me more and more yeah i mean it may be more cute than anything else but it is really cute yeah i mean well you you can do a lot of like the the cuteness factor can be pretty high when it's on a card with cycle one yeah so Holy crap. Cycle 1 has ruined this limited format. I've noticed. They just put it on too many commons. Mm-hmm. It's yes. on seven commons. Every deck right now, like your the deck size in this format is tiny mm-hmm. because you just get to play the good cards that you've drafted and then a bunch of cycle 1 cards. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of sad. And, and then know. the decks that <laughs> exploit cycling in some way, whether it's the Two three first strike that gets plus two plus zero, oh, yeah. or just the guys that trigger off of you know a Drana Stinger and 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 the the Helix whatever it's called. Good mm-hmm. lord, yeah. Um, but if you have access to those cards, your deck is just kind of better than everybody else's because you're both cycling, but then you're getting a real advantage off of all of your cycling. And right. It if most of those commons just had cycling two, I think it would be a really different format. Or if there were like color requirements mm-hmm. for the cycle cards. Oh yeah, but all of the cycle cards are colorless. Yeah, or the cycle abilities are all colorless. Right. So these red white decks just have like four copies of the coercion card. Right. Yeah. Because you just cycle it's it. just it's a cantrip. You just always want your hand to be after you put your creatures in play. You just want your hand to be all cycling cards. <laughs> Silly. But yeah, ugh, for sure. Yeah, pretty unfortunate because you know last two limited formats have been like pretty interesting right. and had a lot of neat stuff going on, and this one could have a lot of neat stuff going on. Like mutate is really cool, mm. and the games that are mostly about that are are very neat. But mm. most games are not about that. And I like when I saw the mutate mechanic, I really liked it mostly because it's really easy to not do it right. Mm-hmm. Like, casting your creature for its body in Limited is very frequently more important than getting a mutate trigger. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of people get wrong, which allows the format to be skill-intensive. Yeah. Because there's that, like, decision point that you have to make sure that you're getting correct every time. Definitely. Um, so I liked that fact of it. But then, yeah, like, the cycling, they just went too overboard on, in my mind. Yeah. It just made it too cheap and easy. Right. Um, cool. Well, I think that's enough of that stuff for today. I think we've hit on everything that we were trying to hit. Yeah. So why don't we do a quick Patreon question? Okay. So, you know, this weekend we commentated what is, what is that, our fourth tournament now? So, yeah. How many did we do before the season started? Was it two or three? It was three, It was three because we did one of each format that was not Legacy. Okay. You know, and I guess the first one, you know, I guess this was the third time that you and Jeremy did commentary. You know, we we have started learning now Mm -hmm. how to do this thing. Yep. We are now in the middle of season one of this sort of Lotus Box tournament series where we have, you you know, the ability to qualify for an invitational at the end of the thing. And uh, we're trying to ramp up our commentary, ramp up our coverage abilities and make it as good as possible. And we're kind of learning something new every couple of weeks. So we've got some questions about that. And I'll just sort of 
read each of them and then we'll riff on what we're learning and what we're doing so far. Yeah. Um, Farrakh asks, what have you learned from tournament hosting? Anything really random? Anything super important now, but not obvious before? Nick asks, how has commentating been so far? Do you think your podcast hosting talents have helped any? Uh, and Lee asks, what's the biggest thing y'all have learned in commentary itself? Not hosting or producing, but commentary. So, I don't know. What have you, you know, what have you started to take away from covering these tournaments? Well, one of the things that really jumped out at me initially when I started commentating that was very different than the podcast is that it's a lot different when you're when two people are sitting here talking about something that's happening in front of them in as opposed to what we do on the podcast, mm-hmm. which is two people just kind of talking to each other about, yeah, you know, what's what we've been thinking about. And that is like it's really easy to want to talk over each mm-hmm. other about the same thing, because often like our minds are going processing what we're seeing in front of us and we want to like be spewing our thoughts on the whatever we're looking at and it's really easy to like both do that at the same time sure which really shows me why there's the whole discussion about like color commentary and play by play yeah is it like being able to find the balance between being the person giving their thoughts on what's happening and being the person that's kind of just there to listen and like help with that mm-hmm. is important. Like that dynamic is important. Yeah. And it was definitely jarring for me initially when I was like, I just want to spew all of my thoughts on this thing. <laughs> but there's also another person next to me who also wants to spew all of their thoughts on the same thing. So it's this little dance that you have to like manage. Yeah. Um. So that took a little getting used to. And we did talk at the beginning about like, okay, are we doing roles? Like who's the color commentator? Who's the play by play? Right. But, you know, as we settled in a little more, you know, nobody's doing that. That didn't seem to be the natural way mm-hmm. of covering these together. Yeah. And a lot of it ends up being more like watching a game with your friend and talking about it, mm-hmm. you know, more than having like specific roles assigned which i i I think has been working out pretty well and so yeah and i i would really prefer it if we did not assign roles Mm -hmm. i think that would be worse because i don't think that we would agree on (laughs) who gets what roles but um i think the the way that we've been doing it has been working so far i think so and Mm -hmm. i mean you know there's certainly always improvements that can be made and and we will get better over time yeah yeah. uh yeah a lot of work to do Let's see. Let me think if I have sort of an answer, like a takeaway mm-hmm. that I've had so far. Tournament hosting has been... We have to give a lot of credit to Evan Whitehouse. Yes. And and Lee McLeod for their efforts in doing a lot of the administrative stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you don't really see it on from, you know, watching the stream. But mm-hmm. certainly, like, it just wouldn't work without right. them yeah. doing that stuff. Yeah, they put in a lot of work behind the scenes. You'd be surprised at how much is going on kind of behind the scenes to mm-hmm. just like take care of everybody's questions because things go wrong and like you know what do we do if this happens and i i just remember during our first before our first tournament i asked like okay do we want to have somebody in the house who's not doing commentary not playing in the tournament mm-hmm. but like you know just sort of helping to administer the tournament <laughs> And, and I got, no, no, it's fine. Like, MTG nah, Melee will have somebody assigned to it. Like, they'll <laughs> they'll take care of all of that. Right. And then by, like, half an hour into the tournament, like, Evan had dropped from the tournament, <laughs> was answering people's questions on Melee, was, like, doing stuff, pairing the rounds. And, like, yeah. yes, gr- like, he just took that on and he's right. done a killer job. And we keep giving him more stuff. Mm-hmm. 
uh, just because, you know, you can't do anything when you're in the booth. Right. Yeah. And, and that has definitely been like a an interesting feeling of mm-hmm. like, you know, when we're doing the podcast, it's pretty chill. Right. You know, it's just you and me. We're sitting here. It's not like it's not a lot of pressure. Right. But when we're it does feel more like a performance when mm-hmm. we're streaming. So we also like not only do we feel like we just like can't take care of the other administrative stuff because it would look bad for us to be like, give me a second and just like start typing away. Right. Computer computer or just whatever. don't want to do that. <laughs> Um, which I, I still have to do every once in a while. Yeah, and but. that's, you know, it's just going to happen. But but yeah, we, we like try to avoid that stuff because I know that it, it's not really what people want to see. But um. So we've got Evan in the other room on another computer that is basically pulling all of the streams from different players. And then he chooses what comes to us in here. Right. And then gets onto our screen, gets spit out onto the stream through this computer that I've got here. Uh, and so you know him doing that like just sorting through all of the feature matches and then potential backup features so we don't have to hunt around while we're talking and stuff yeah has been just just huge uh and then lee has done a lot of you know just keeping the tournament organized keeping our featured players like updated so we know who's doing well and and uh updating the deck list on cardboard live and stuff just things that like we can't do while we're on camera and so it has been huge having them help out and our buddy jay um has done a lot of work working on some spreadsheets to sort of automate metagame breakdowns and and win percentages and stuff and so Mm -hmm. hopefully we will be able to adapt a lot of that into being able to put it directly up onto the screen very very quickly for for the next turn i'm really excited to do that sort of stuff yeah um as far as no very excited for all the things we have in the woodwork yeah yeah. As far as things that I have learned from doing this, well, I mean, I do kind of just want to like share a little bit of my experience in this sort of not really producer role, but in, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff to put the stream together, basically a lot of mm-hmm. the technical stuff. And boy, I really miss doing this stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, I did production in college okay. and I made a lot of, I made several documentaries and I, uh you know just did video production Mm -hmm. and this is slightly different i haven't done live shows before but the problem solving stuff the like figuring out the lighting figuring out the equipment that you need to get trying not to spend more than what is appropriate and, and and find solutions there like that just sort of like figuring out what the problem is and figuring out how to solve that problem is just so fun for me and i've missed it it certainly seems satisfying yeah yeah so yeah, it, I finally like. You know how when you're like a gifted kid and you like do well in school and you're like, oh yeah, I'm smart, and then like you go to college or you go to grad school or whatever, and it's like, all right, maybe I don't know, maybe I overestimated my abilities here somewhat, or even if you do well in those things, and then sure. you get out into the real world, and there's just like no way to just like use your intelligence in a way that's like oh yeah i am smart i forgot that i was smart like and that's what this is for me it's like oh crap i forgot that i'm like kind of good at this stuff (laughs) and it's so satisfying so no for sure and you know i i'm down to toot your horn a little bit on this one it's been really impressive to watch chris do his thing um and you know he he'll just sit down and figure out everything that we need to do for the stream and the amount of stuff that he's set up for the stream and like all of the production value or or not the production value but like the 
I'm not sure the word I want to use for this, but like the just the cleanliness of the stream and the, the reason it looks so good is because of all of the work that you put in, you know, before everything starts. So, right. And, yeah, but that really also means that every perfect. little thing that goes wrong, I'm yeah. like, God damn it, I missed that. It was or, sure. you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I screw up the graphics or if they're just like, you know, you know, they're not the way that I want them yet and stuff. Like yeah, I want, yeah. there's a million things and there's huge improvements that I want to do that are going to be done over time. But for now, every everything is like, Man, none of this is good enough yet, but we'll get there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Let's keep it going. Yeah. I, I really hope that we can keep making a thing out of this. So um, if you haven't been watching these tournaments, please watch. Um, yes. I think it's a lot of fun. So yep. for everybody who's hung out in chat and, and watched us, we're actually, you know, doing this on the Lotus Box stream seems to be the way to do it. So. Yeah, we got we got like 50 viewers yeah. here. Do we want to raid anybody? We got. We yeah, got we can do that. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out who to raid in a second. But uh, to everybody who is here, thank you so much for hanging out. We really appreciate you just like spending time with us. And it's nice to have people to talk to live. So yeah, definitely appreciate that. Um, if you are listening to the podcast at home, thank you for continuing to listen to the podcast despite not having a commute. Very cool of you. Um, if you want to join us live, you can come to twitch.tv slash team Lotus Box uh, 730. Usually on Tuesdays. This week we pushed it to Wednesday, but usually on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. If you would like to lend us some support, you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast, or you can go to our website, mtggrindcast.com. We've got links to the Patreon, uh, links to individual episodes, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, definitely catch our tournament coming up on... I got I don't know dates anymore. We're in the middle of a quarantine. Uh, on May 3rd yes. is going to be our Pioneer tournament on twitch.tv slash teamlotusbox, so come check that out. Yep. Or playing it. More, like definitely complain it yes yeah um if you right there are a lot of ways of getting into the tournament and they are all relatively cheap and come with a lot of other value so yeah. um you know if you're a patron of us if you're a subscriber of this uh twitch channel if you're a subscriber of Zan, if you're a pat patron of team lotus box yeah all of those just get you entry into these tournaments but if you're listening to this podcast i think your greatest value should certainly be oh absolutely subbing to our patreon and we'll, yeah. we'll shoot you a code but yeah, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. The podcast is at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter, at Collins Mullen. Uh, thanks a lot, and have a great week. Peace.